Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, this episode is being recorded on Christmas Eve 2020. The 111th episode of the podcast is going to be released overnight into Christmas morning. And so an early Merry Christmas, if you're listening to this at a reasonable hour. But if you're listening to this right after it comes out and you are wrapping gifts or staying up late with all manner of frivolity, then uh, Merry Christmas Eve and thanks for bringing me along with you. Uh, A lot of excitement in my house, as you probably know if you listen to the podcast or read the website. I have four kids, eight, six, four, and then the littlest one turns two on Christmas Day. So that's exciting. Still figuring that out. At this age, it's not a problem. He's just happy to be there. But inevitably, we're going to have to figure out some sort of summer party or something else. But at this point, it's still still pretty easy. Well, I want to do something different for the podcast today because it is a Christmas slash Christmas Eve podcast. Uh, and I wanted to keep it shorter. I've got a lot going on, both for work uh, and uh, with family, so I'm not going to go crazy with a, a, a big, long, drawn-out podcast. Like you said, you've been kind of rambling for a minute already, but what I want to do is share a story. So as you probably saw in the title of this podcast, Fly Fishing Storytime, I wanted to just dip into history, into an old account of fly fishing and talk about that. And so there's, there's so many great resources out there, so many great books. Uh, but there's a lot of books that you don't even have to buy if you have internet access. Uh, there, there's books that can be yours um, because they're in the public domain. So I was going to share a book that I've had contact with in the past but recently kind of rediscovered. And that is a book with a uh, absolutely spectacular name, The American Angler's Book. Well, that's the, the title. But then you got the subtitle, which goes as, as follows. The American Angler's Book. Embracing the Natural History of Sporting Fish and the Art of Taking Them, 
colon, with instructions in fly fishing, fly making, and rod making, and directions for fish breeding, colon, to which is appended dis piscatore, that's my best attempt at that kind of Latin, describing noted fishing places and the pleasures of solitary fly fishing. Now, honestly, that uh, title is about half as long as some of my posts on casting across. But uh, the American English book was published in 1864 by a gent named Thaddeus Norris. Uh, and uh, he, he published this book in the United States um, in Philadelphia. But uh, he did this in the midst of the Civil War. So uh, I, this, this has kind of sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole uh, thinking about uh, what, what this guy was doing. And it, maybe he started writing this book well before the Civil War. But really kind of what I came back to is... Just like today, with everything we have going on in 2020, uh, we're still fly fishing. This guy was in the middle of a, a conflict that was just raging across the country, and he still managed to publish a book on fly fishing, which meant that there were probably people who were fly fishing um, at that time. So I just wanted to read a few selections that I thought were interesting. Uh, it, it's a great book. It's a long book. It's 600 pages, uh, but there's a, a couple of uh, cool selections that I thought I would share with you all. And the first one is called Casting the Fly from uh, the chapter called Trout Fly Fishing, The Stream. So much has been written on the subject that the learner who consults the authorities, it's his emphasis, not mine, not only finds that doctors disagree, but that he is bewildered with what may appear to him unnecessary detail. And he is thus impressed with an idea that fly fishing is a science to be attained only with much study and practice. It would therefore be much better to learn the rudiments from some skillful friend on the stream and afterwards read such authorities as Chitty, Ephemera, and Ronald's. As it is likely, however, that some of my readers who may wish to try their hands may not be able to avail themselves of the practical instruction of friends of experience or may not have access to English authors on fly fishing, I will, with some misgivings as to my ability to profit them, describe the usual manner of casting the fly as practiced by our best anglers, advising the beginner not to be ambitious at first of accomplishing what he may deem a difficult feat, that is, to cast a long line, but rather by patience and diligence to acquire the knack of delivering one of moderate length straight out and lightly, by perseverance he will in due time find how did doth breed a habit in a man. On a favorite day the learner, with faith and industry and no preconceived notions of the difficulty of fly fishing, may find at his nooning that he has made a catch which does not compare unfavorably with that of his more skillful brother. If the contrary be the case, let him not lose heart, as there may have been many circumstances against him, as inexperience of the waters, the arrangement of his whip, landing his fish, etc., which he has not yet to learn, and that it is not his casting which is altogether at fault. Some writers have objected to the accepted term whipping, contending that casting the fly is different from whipping with the long staff and lash. I acknowledge that in the main it is. Still, the first motions of the arm and rod are not unlike the motions of the arm and whipstaff of a stage driver. The latter intends that the end of his lash shall receive a certain part of the horse's body, while the angler intends that his fly shall fall on a certain part of the stream. But here the similitude ends. The driver, by a sudden backward motion of the arm, causes the lash to strike the horse with force and rebound, while the angler avoids the quick backward motion and allows his flies to fall lightly. And then, not hastily, but by a gentle movement of his rod, 
draws his fly towards him or across the water. I love that. I mean, that's 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 great stuff. It's practical advice. It, it's you know, you've heard the 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 hammer analogy of hammering uh, within a door frame, or of course the ten o'clock, two o'clock kind of thing. And and here we have a, a horse being whipped, and that would have been something much more in the mind of, of somebody um, at, at that time, and, and actually a lot more practical from a physical standpoint than the two analogies that I gave. But I also like how uh, Norris uh, kind of takes a jab at uh, consulting only the quote-unquote authorities, and he actually italicized that, or the, the printer italicized that word in, in his book, um, and to rely on somebody who's just on the stream with you. I talked about that a few weeks ago, and, and uh, it was a fun little coincidence. Um, but also kind of uh, taking a shot at the assumption that fly fishing is elitist and is hard and, and is, is this difficult thing for people. And that uh, even that little bit of, of encouragement in there where if you messed up, it's not necessarily because you're a bad caster. There's, who knows why, why you messed up? We all have bad days. So that was a, a fun little chapter. All right, next, the fly rod. And you honestly didn't think you were going to get through an episode without at least one mention of gear. And so this is Norris's take on fly rods, which actually come after uh, nets. He put nets as a higher priority and a wading jacket because, I mean, it's the 1860s. You got to look sharp when you're on the water. So all this fashion stuff didn't start in the last 20, 25 years. This has been around in fly fishing. Anyway, fly rods. There is as great a diversity in the size and flow of the waters where trout are found as there is in the size of the fish found in them. It is therefore expedient for an angler who fishes all waters to have two rods for casting the fly. For the rivers and lakes of Maine, the streams of Canada, and wherever trout are found in large waters, a good stout rod of not less than 12 and a half or 13 feet is best. It should weigh at least 12 ounces. Though withy, it should have a stiffish tip, the line, leader, and flies required in such waters being larger than the fly tackle in general use. For the lively tributaries of the Susquehanna, Delaware, and Hudson, the streams of New England, and for brook fishing generally, where wading is necessary, a rod from 7 to 9 ounces in weight, and from 12 to 12 feet 4 inches long, is most suitable. A rod of this size is so light that incessant casting does not weary one, and the size of the fish does not make a rod of greater power necessary. Having a preference for such streams as last mentioned, I give my notion of what a rod for such fishing should be from one made for my own use. Using a scale with minute fractions of an inch and a pair of calipers, I find the diameters at various distances from the lower end of the butt as follows. And then he, he actually goes in, into uh, 30 seconds of inches of this fly rod uh, and, and talks about a fly rod that he had made. It sounds like there's a quite a bit of, of pride in there because he actually has an entire chapter on rod making. Uh, but to skip ahead a little bit, uh, I, I like this. He talks about the color of a fly rod. The color of a rod, if not too light, is of little importance. It may be stained black or yellow. The latter color should never be produced by strong acids, which are apt to impair the strength of the wood. Dark woods, of course, require no staining. A natural tint is imparted by one or two coats of common writing fluid, a bluish tint. Shellac, which is soluble in alcohol or ether, is generally preferred to copal varnish. It should be applied thin. The glare of the last coat should be removed from a new rod by sprinkling a little seager ashes on a wet rag rubbing gently, and then wiping it off with clean water. Oh man, look at that. We even cared about the color of fly rods 150 years ago. There's some things that just don't change. And that's, that's really what I enjoy about, about reading old old books like this, um, not just fly fishing, but, but just in general. All right, 
couple more things and then we'll wrap up. Here, Norris talks about the brook trout, a fish that I certainly have a lot of affinity for, and he does as well. So after he describes it, which is beautiful but long, he, he says this, No fish affords as much sport to the angler as the brook trout, whether he is fished for by the country urchin, who ties his knotted horsehair line to his alder pole and snakes out the speckled fellows by caving bank of the meadow brook and from under the overhanging branches of the wooded stream or by the scientific angler who delivers his flies attached the nine-foot leader straight out and lightly from his well-balanced rod and kills his fish artistically. He is as game as a bantam cock. With a pliant rod and fine tackle, a 12-incher gives as much sport as most other fish four times the size on a stout rod and coarse tackle. But let us begin with a slight glance at his habitats and natural history. His unnatural death we will speak of afterwards, though the angler may think it more natural than the trout should die by his hands than in any other way. Towards the end of August, if you loiter around a trout stream and look into a pool with smooth gliding current where a spring branch enters or wander along the banks of some clear, cool tributary of the main brook, you may find a dozen trout congregated, sometimes a half dozen or a single pair, and if not disturbed by a freshest caught by the angler or stared by the villainous poacher with his wire loop, they will remain there until October or November, when the female will cast her spawn, some say in a furrow made longitudinally or diagonally in the bed of the stream, by rooting with her nose. Others say, more after the manner of the broadcast, whichever be, the male fish follows immediately, ejecting his milt over it. The parents of the future progeny then, as usual thing, take their course downstream to some deep pool and there remain in winter quarters, recovering strength and flesh until the ensuing spring when they move upstream with every rise of water, always on the lookout for something to eat, and ever eager to take a bait, rise to fly, and reproducing in autumn as before. Well, there you have it. Brook trout. No different today than they were back then. I could go on and on. Uh, there's some fantastic chapters, um, and there, there's one in particular that I'm actually going to probably turn into an entire podcast in the, in the near future. But again, we'll keep it short because uh, it is Christmas Eve after all. So the last thing that I wanted to share with you from the book is a poem I think is particularly pertinent based upon uh, the, the day that uh, this is being released on. This is uh, one of the poems that is on one of the plates opposite of the chapter headings, and this is one just talking about uh, the contemplative and reflective angler. And it reads, The first men that our Savior dear did choose to wait upon him here. Blessed fishers were, and fish the last. Food was that he on earth did taste. I therefore strive to follow those whom he to follow him hath chose. This week on Casting Across, the first article that came out was called Glam Rock and Golden Rainbows. It's kind of a stream of consciousness day on the water in the wintertime. And I caught a Palomino trout to start the day off. And so, I mean, really, can it get any better? And it does. So I talk about that, and I end up with platform shoes, as many folks who fish in the winter often do. Wednesday's article was called Rusty Flybox, Merry Christmas. So as you may be aware, the Rusty Flybox series of articles are compilation pieces of, of multiple uh, older archived articles on castingacross.com. 
and they all kind of revolve around the theme. And this week's theme, of course, was Christmas. And so this is in a unique uh, opportunity for you to see my lyrical stylings. So I don't compose much poetry nor song. However, I am more than happy to parody something. And so here we have a parody of the 12 days of Christmas and a parody of You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. So if to get the full experience, well, I'm not going to sing it, but to get the full experience, you ought to sing it. And just do it in the car. Do it in your office. Do it to your children. They will, they will certainly enjoy it. Entertain your spouse this weekend as you are taking down uh, Christmas ornaments and uh, playing with your new fly gear. So uh, the third article is called How to Fish with Family, kind of a humorous uh, look at and a how-to guide of escaping if you need to escape. We all love our families, but, you know, there's there's a time and a place to go fishing, and usually it's after everyone is, uh, well, you know what it is. So check those out. And again, uh, thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. I, I know I'll have another podcast before the year is over, uh, but at the same time, uh, I do appreciate it. It is, and this sounds cheesy, but it is a gift to me for folks that listen, who subscribe, especially those who do leave those ratings and reviews on iTunes. I do appreciate that. And then I also am a big fan of receiving emails and social media chirps and being able to interact with people and uh, being able to keep those conversations going. Just recently, I got an email from somebody, and I'll save it because I'll, I'll use it for my, my next uh, listener feedback podcast, but it was a conversation that was started months ago and, and just kind of picked up, and to be able to continue that, it's, it's a really fun thing to do uh, that uh, I, I love normally, but uh, especially during coronavirus when I'm not getting out as much into more fly fishing activities as I normally would where there's other people around, it's a, it's a great way to kind of keep that fire burning. So thank you. I do appreciate it. Um, It is truly a gift to me. This week's recommendation on the podcast, it's read a book. You might choose to read uh, what I just read, the American Angler's Book. Google it. You'll find it. And there's a number of places where you can find it in the public domain. But uh, if you want something a little bit more contemporary, maybe something that you, you would kind of go through a little bit quicker because the language isn't as cumbersome, then I have an entire list of books. So if you go to castingacross.com and you go to the right-hand side if you're on a desktop, there are a number of uh, kind of header images, and one of them is book reviews. And they're very, very brief reviews, uh, but they give you kind of a taste of what these books are. And there's probably three dozen at least on there, and more to come. I'm, I'm adding more. But there's everything from total you know, nuts and bolts, how-to guides to some great fly fishing novels. There's things that are 60 years old, and there's things that are coming out, you know, just in the last few months. So definitely check that out. And as you have time, you know, if it's your Christmas to New Year's break or as things are cold and you're not fishing as much, definitely take a moment to read. I've had so much fun preparing for this episode by reading through many, many, many more pages of the American Angler's book than I've shared with you all. Um, But it's just, it's, it's a great way to stay connected. And I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about fishing in the winter, how you can stay connected to fly fishing without actually fly fishing. For some people, it's out of necessity. For for some people, it's out of choice. But you can stay connected by reading a book. So check out that list. And if you have any more questions or you have recommendations, then send me a uh, uh, an email if you have a, say, you know, which which of the books would you suggest because I like to fish this way or that way or whatever. I'm happy to help you work through that. And if you say, you know what, this is the best book. You need to read it. I can give you my address. 
or I can put it on my Amazon list. I actually got a handful of books for kind of early family Christmas a couple weeks ago that readers and listeners recommended to me. So I'm really excited about sharing those with you in the near future. Again, Merry Christmas from me at castingacross.com. And thank you for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.